Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, a Bible on you this morning, there are people here who would love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible, didn't bring your Bible, you throw your hand up, grab one of these. If you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, for sure throw your hand up, grab one of these as our gift to you. You just take this home as our gift, grab a copy of God's Word, turn to the book of Luke in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 23. As you're turning there or scrolling to that, however you're getting there, Luke 23, we're gonna be starting in, in verse uh, 34 of Luke 23. As you're turning there, uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family where I wasn't the oldest, right? So I had two older brothers and a younger sister. And so as the, the third son, I would hear this every once in a while. Maybe you've heard this before too. You ever hear, hey, why can't you be more like your brother? Or, hey, why don't you act more like your sister? I mean, I heard that before. It could be, hey, hey, why don't you work harder at school like your, why aren't you more, more helpful around the house like your, and, you, and we get compared, right, to our older brother or older sister. And here's my fear as we've been walking through this series, you remind me of Jesus. As we talk about this idea of, of what it's like to live like Jesus, you can hear these sermons almost in that same way where you hear, hey, why aren't you more like Jesus? Why, why don't you work harder, do more, strive more? But, but hear this as we, as we wrap up this series. This is not a call for us to do more. It's a call to know Jesus and to trust Jesus. Because listen, without Jesus, all of this stuff we've been talking about over these last number of weeks, all of these things, without Jesus, it, it becomes religious activity. It doesn't work. But when you start with Jesus, I mean, when I say start with Jesus, when you come to that place where it's not about, I need to do these things to get to Jesus, but you recognize, no, I'm already, I'm already with Christ. I already have Christ. And you start there in that place where you recognize then, I'm not Jesus. I need Jesus because I'm not Jesus. I don't love like Jesus. I don't serve like Jesus. I don't give like Jesus. I don't trust like Jesus. I don't welcome like Jesus. And especially this morning as we unpack forgive like Jesus. Man, I don't forgive like Jesus. But when you see the cross, when you, when you see the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus, it begins to change everything. It changes who we are. As we respond to, to God's grace in repentance and, and you're transformed, you, you become a new creation. It's, it's who you are right now, filled with the Spirit of God. So when we talk about this idea of, of living like Jesus, listen, if you don't know Jesus at all, this is an invitation to know him. It's not an invitation to religion. You need Jesus. And as a Christian, I want you to hear this as we talk about what it's like to live like Jesus. Understand this, if you're a Christ follower, you have the spirit of God in you. I mean, think about that. Ephesians says this, the, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, you have that spirit in you. That spirit of God, that, that power of God, which means this, you can lean into the Lord and the spirit will grow in you a life that will reflect Jesus to those around you. And, and here's why it's so important. When, when you read in, in Acts, I love in Acts 4.13, it's talking about the disciples Peter and John, and they were, they're just regular guys. There was nothing really special about them, but here's what was said about them. They said, man, we could tell that you've been with Jesus. You have a way of living. They had a boldness where people would say, it was obvious that you've been with Jesus. 
Peter and John reminded people of Jesus. Later in the book of Acts, we've talked about this already, that it was the world looking in on the church as the church was growing in the book of Acts. The world looks in and gives them the name, you guys are Christians. You guys are like little Christ. You, you guys remind us of Jesus, so we're gonna call you Christians. Listen, the mission that we're on as a church is, is not about, hey, how can we round up the most amount of people to come into this building to hear some guy preach? That's not really the mission we've been called to. The mission is this, listen, as a Christ follower, you've been filled with the spirit of God. You have the word of God. You are surrounded by the people of God so that you can go out into your community to live like Jesus to love like Jesus, to, to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. I mean, why would we plant a campus in Perry Sound? We didn't put the, the church in Perry Sound so that you and Perry Sound could, could get the church quicker. Well, I didn't like driving the 141 all the way to Bracebridge, so I'm so glad we got this. Now it's easier for me to get, that's not why. The church planted in Perry Sound to reach the people of Perry Sound. We're excited to be planning another campus in Huntsville. Why would we do that? Again, it's not so great. I live in Huntsville. Now I don't have to drive 45 minutes to church, a half an hour to church. Man, now my church is in my backyard. That's so much easier for me. Thank you, Harvest. That's not why we're doing it. We're doing it so that as a church, our focus can be here in Bracebridge. We, we can pour out our lives to Bracebridge and poor Carly and Graveners and, and, and another group of people who are in Huntsville can pour out their lives in Utterson and Huntsville and, and all around Huntsville and say, this is why we're here, to live like Jesus in our world. I've saved this, this sermon here this morning for last, part of it is we've been tracking through the book of Luke somewhat in order, just walking through this, but, but there's more than just that. Also because this, this last one we're gonna talk about, when we talk about you remind me of Jesus, I think it's one of the most difficult. This is one of the ways where we will desperately cry out, Lord God, I need you. Jesus, I can't do this without you. Also, also because this is one of the things, one of the ways we can live that will cause the most people to look in on your life and say, that can only be Jesus. When you forgive like Jesus and, and people see the hurt and the pain you've been through and, and you extend forgiveness, people look in and go, that could only be Jesus. So if your Bible open to Luke chapter 23, we're, we're, we're tracking here now. We, we come to the point in Christ's life where he's, he's on the cross. He's, he's giving us his, really some of his last words are spoken. If you think about that, somebody's last words, like when somebody is dying, they know they only have moments left. Those last words come with a sense of urgency and importance, don't they? It, it's like, man, these are the last things I have to say. So I, these are things that are so much important to me. That they're what I care the most about. Now, we believe that, that all of God's word is God's word. So, so we, we want to come under submission to the, to the whole word of God, to, to everything that Christ says, everything that God lays out for us in his word. And yet there's something unique about these words. Something significant for us. So here, look at verse 34. It says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now you, you hear that and, and those are powerful words that left on their own just in that statement. It's, they're not terribly shocking. You wouldn't be shocked to think that Jesus would say something like that. You're like, well, that sounds like Jesus. 
What's remarkable is the context that we take these words from. It's, it's the when Jesus prayed this. Go up to verse 32. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Talking about Jesus, these two criminals, were, we're not sure what they did. They're called a thief in, in, in a couple of the other gospels. The word thief doesn't really say it too much. It's a violent robber. So, so more than just somebody who's picking pockets, these guys are bad dudes. So here they are, verse 33. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive the people doing this. Forgive the ones who are crucifying me for they know not what they do. Here, here we have Jesus Christ. After he's been nearly beaten to death, now hung on a cross, nails piercing through his, his hands and his feet, pushing up to get a breath just to breathe. He, he's being mocked and spit on. He's being judged by the crowds all around the cross. He's nailed between two violent criminals. He's been forsaken by everyone. All his closest friends have forsaken him. We're gonna, if you read on further, you see that not only his friends, but even God the Father would forsake him. Because Jesus had become sin for us and it's, it's from here that Jesus says those words, Father, forgive them. So if we're gonna forgive like Jesus, we need, we need to start here this morning. Here's the key place we need to begin. Here, here's, here's where we need to always come back to remember. Here it is, in Christ, all of my sins are forgiven. So, so when we're gonna reach out with forgiveness, we remember the cross of Christ and in that moment, all our sins forgiven. I mean, think about that. If you're a Christ follower, think about this, all of your sins. Every sinful word, every sinful thought, every sinful action, all the lies, all the hurtful words, all the gossip, all the lust, all the abuse, all the greed, all the cheating, all the brokenness of your life. If you've given your life to Christ, all of it, all of it, no matter what it is, past, present, future, all that sin taken care of, forgiven. Now, when I say that, where does your heart go? When I say that all your sins taken care of, what's it do in your heart? Deep in your heart, how do you respond to that truth? I think there's, there's one of four ways you can respond. You can respond saying, I don't believe it. I, I can't accept that for myself. I, I've, I've sinned too much. It seems too good to be true. Or maybe secondly, you might, you might say, you know, it's great to hear that, that, that my sin is forgiven, but I don't really think I need it that much. And you, you cling to your self-righteousness, you cling to the, the, the way you live your life, and, and you don't really, man, I don't, I don't know if I've sinned so much that, that God, the Son, Jesus Christ, would need to be crucified on my behalf. I think I'm doing pretty good, but I get it. Or, or maybe thirdly, you might think this way, I, I, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that Christ would die in my place. And, and theologically, intellectually, you get it. But your heart's not hugely engaged. Maybe lastly, maybe fourthly, you, you hear that all of your sins are forgiven and you're so aware of your brokenness. You're, you're so aware of how messed up you are and, and you think of all the sin that you carried with you, all the sin from your past, even your heart's tendency now as you pursue sin and you think of all of that and you hear that those sins are forgiven and you cry out, thank you, Jesus. 
Your heart responds in worship or, or maybe as you think deeply about it, not just worship, but, but in weeping. You think, I don't deserve this, but, but because of God's mercy and his grace, I'm forgiven. Where do you land? What do you think? Where do you fall in? I mean, think about it for real. What do you think when you hear your sins are forgiven? I mean, I think for me, I would hope that I would be in the last category. I can think of times or moments where God's grace impacts me, the place where I would get there. I'm going to tell you, mostly I'll live in the third category. I'll be thankful for it but not always deeply moved by it. And I think the reason we need to press down deep into what the gospel means for each of us, what forgiveness looks like for us, is because of this, to the extent that you know, and I mean deeply know, that you embrace, you understand, you hold deeply in your heart, to the extent that you know the truth that God's forgiven you is the extent that you will forgive others. The extent that you know the truth that God's forgiven you is the extent to which you will forgive others. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, he says, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Right? So, so how deeply you get this idea that in Christ I've been forgiven is gonna impact how you forgive others. Because we're forgiven, we forgive. How deeply do you grasp that? It's going to impact how graciously you extend it. There, there's something that we experience, in it, and it's this, this vertical experience, this experience we have between us and God. And it's more than just a, a mental experience. It's more than just a theological, but it's a deep heart experience. And, and your heart is impacted by this, this, this idea that God, a holy God, would forgive us. And that vertical experience expresses itself then horizontally. And I can't forgive others if I don't receive the forgiveness for myself. I can't forgive well <coughs> if I don't understand, if I don't feel the greatness of that forgiveness for me. And listen, this whole idea of forgiveness, it's so important. It's important for us to understand this because, listen, it, it's important because all of us will bump into this. There will come times, maybe daily, where you're going to experience either the need for forgiveness or the need to forgive others. A lot. Because listen, we are all broken, messed up people. If you're thinking, I don't know, Pastor, I'm not that messed up. That's how messed up you are. You don't even know how messed up you are, right? And, and here we are, a bunch of messed up people living in a messed up world, surrounded by messed up people. I mean, that's how sins impacted us. So that whatever relationship you're in, whether it's marriage or family or friendships or, or, or employees or employers or coworkers or teachers or fellow students or people around you here in church, no matter what relationship you, you're in, there'll always be a need to either receive or give forgiveness. I think we have an amazing church family here. I love our church where, where, I mean, you just see people care for each other and, and practically love each other and forgive each other and, and lives are changed. But, but listen, listen, as great of a church as I think this is, if you call this church your home, there will come a time when you will be hurt here. 
as your pastor, I, I'm not going to do it on purpose. It's not my, my heart's intent, but man, I'm broken like everybody else. Or, or your small group leader or, or people in your small group or people you worship beside, even this morning, that person will fail you. They will hurt you. They, they will choose themselves over you. They, they will do something. They will say something that will hurt or wound you. You're thinking, I love coming to church on Sunday. It's so encouraging. Thanks, pastor. The world sucks. Great. No, it, it's truth. And, and we shouldn't be shocked when we're hurt. We, we shouldn't be surprised when this messed up, broken world, broken by sin, acts like a world broken by sin. I mean, the, the important thing for us to ask this morning, it, it's not about this idea of, will I be sinned against? That's not the question to ask. We know we will be sinned against. The important question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, how will I respond when I'm sinned against? How, how will I respond when I'm hurt, when I'm wounded, when somebody sins against me? And Jesus calls us as ones who are forgiven to forgive. Now, here's the thing about forgiveness. When, when you talk about forgiveness, we, we all love forgiveness. We, we love to hear stories of forgiveness. We love the idea of being forgiven. There's something in us that's moved by stories of forgiveness. There's something so attractive about it, but I like what C.S. Lewis says about forgiveness. He says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they need to forgive someone. I love the idea of forgiveness when it's coming my way. Going the other way, I really love justice, right? When we see forgiveness extended, it seems so beautiful. When we have to extend it, it can seem so painful. It can be so hard. We're like, wait, wait, wait. What about retribution? What about justice here? And that's where forgiveness becomes so hard. And listen, I know that across this room, there are stories of deep hurt and pain. So much so that this idea of forgiveness is a very difficult subject for you to hear about. That here in this room, there, you sit here and you hear about forgiveness and, and you've been abandoned, forgotten, hurt, gossiped about, lied about. The, the closest ones to you have, have broken your trusts. Some of you here carry the, the deep pain of abuse, whether sexually abused or physically abused or, or emotionally or spiritually abused. And, and listen, my heart breaks at that pain. As your pastor, as your, as your brother and friend, to know that that's the pain represented here, it's, it, it breaks my heart. And I, I hate the weight of the pain that, that many of us carry. But, but more important than, than me being broken by that, listen, your heavenly father has a perfect compassion for your pain. but there's a hope and a joy to be found. And the world will think you're crazy, but there's a hope and a joy to be found in forgiveness. So, so where do we start when, when we grasp this idea that, that I'm forgiven in Christ? Okay, I see the cross. I see that's the starting point. Where do I move forward? Well, where does Christ do? Christ moves forward in prayer. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He, he's, he's praying for those who are sinning against him. 
So, so it begins in this place of, I'm gonna pray for those who hurt me. And you gotta understand here where, where Jesus is praying this. Think again about the context of this prayer. Jesus is hanging on a cross. Now, here's the, the crazy thing about that, of hanging on a cross. We normally, when, well, I don't know about you, but when I picture Jesus on the cross, I always have this vision in my mind, maybe I've seen it in pictures, where he's way up high on a cross. History tells us that's not the way it was. Historically, it was different than Historically, Jesus would have been about this height. Here, you four, come here. You're in the front row. You get to be part of the sermon. Come on up. All right, stand right here. So picture this. Now with this in mind, picture Jesus, face me, picture Jesus hanging across, and this is where the mocking and the spitting and the, and the calling out shame upon Jesus is coming. It's right here. It's right, and this is where he says, Father, forgive them. Thanks, guys. What's going on around Christ in that moment? He's praying for those people in that moment. I mean, this should shock us. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The grace of God in Christ is amazing. I mean, think about the troubles we go through. What happens when, when, when you face trouble? I mean, for me, when trouble comes my way, how quickly the world revolves around me. How hard it is for me to give a rip about anybody else because it's now all about me. Here's Jesus hanging on the cross. I mean, life's hard for me, man. If I get sick, my heart does not fill up with ways I can bless other people. If I'm in my room and I am brutally, violently ill and I hear my kids out playing in the living room and having a great time and laughing and screaming, my heart isn't calling out in prayer saying, Lord, bless them more. Give them a louder joy, right? No, I'm like, Lord, are you kidding me? They should be wearing sackcloth and ashes and calling out to God on my behalf, right? They should be in my room waiting on me and tenderly caring for me, right? You're laughing because you're the same. I know you are, right? When I'm hurting, I, I, I'm the center of the universe and yet here is Jesus praying for sinners, I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm praying a much different prayer at this time. If I'm Jesus, I'm, I'm praying, Father, I left heaven. I gave up my glory to, to become God, man. I, I gave all that up for these sinners. Like, send angels, rescue me now, and let's destroy them. And listen, Jesus Christ, as a righteous judge, would have every right to pray that prayer, to say, let's destroy these wicked sinners. And yet, what's he call out? He pours out grace and mercy. Now, where does that strength come for Jesus to in that moment pray that prayer? Where does that strength come from? I think a couple places, and we can, we can grab a hold of this strength too. The first way, place I think Jesus gathers this strength to, to pray this prayer is that his identity is solid. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows who he is. He knows that he is the beloved son with whom the father is well pleased. He, he's not struggling with his identity before the father. So, so Christian, this morning, do you know who you are? I mean, do you know that you're forgiven, accepted, 
transformed, redeemed, secure, a child of God? Do you recognize who you are? I mean, that kind of confidence in the identity of who you are gives Christ the courage to step out in forgiveness. I think secondly, where the strength comes from is that, that Jesus knows who the Father is. He doesn't just know who he is. He also knows who the Father is. And what do I mean by that? I mean, Jesus prays a prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What's he praying? He's not praying, God, they're sinning against me. He knows that the Father is the holy creator of the universe. He knows that that sin, first and foremost, is towards God. And so, so instead of being concerned about his own well-being on the cross, he's trying to make sure, God, I want this relationship between them and us secure. Jesus knows that the sin is actually done first against the Father. I mean, it's so important we, when we think about forgiveness, it's, it's crucial for us to see this, that, that when we're sinned against, first and foremost, the person who sins against us, first of all, they're sinning against God. Then secondly, it's a sin against us. I mean, how often do you think, how could they lie to me? How could they gossip about me? How could they hurt me? How could they cheat on me? How could they sin against me? But I love King David in Psalm 51, just the, one of the greatest chapters which just outlining repentance as, as David repents in Psalm 51. And he, he's basically repenting for like this short period of time where he took his life from being just regular King David like into like the worst rated R Hollywood movie you could ever come up with. All right, he's like breaking every, ten, every one of the Ten Commandments he can in a short period of time. What, what happens? Here's a story. He sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing. And he says, I, I want her. You have to understand something. It's not like a romantic comedy where the two of them fall in love and, and then they get together. No, no. He uses his power and authority as the king to take her. To have his way with her. Eventually, he, he ends up killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He kills him to have Bathsheba. Now, did David sin against Bathsheba? For sure. Did David sin against Uriah? For sure. But when he repents, when you read what he says in Psalm 51, he sees first and foremost that his sin was against a holy God. And he says, he says this, Oh, Father, against you and you alone have I sinned. He sees my sin was against God first. So listen, when somebody sins against you, what do you do? Here's what we need to do to say, Lord, I've been wounded, I've been broken, I've been hurt by this sin. Help me see that that sin was first against you. When we're reminded that sin is against God, it takes us back to the cross, remembering this amazing story of God's grace that, that, that this perfect and blameless God who has every right to rain down justice on our sin instead pours out mercy and grace to you and to me in our sins so, so you and I can extend grace. I mean, if God, who is the true center of the universe, the one who is first sinned against, if he can extend forgiveness, then you and I can tuck in behind God, follow him to do the same. So when we see the cross and we see the grace that God pours out on us, our hearts are changed. 
Listen, you, you can't do this kind of forgiveness just in yourself. It's, it's only by seeing and embracing and experiencing the grace of the cross, your heart then will turn to this kind of forgiveness. Because you look here and you, you see the cross and you see Jesus praying for you. Jesus praying for me that, that, that God, you've forgiven me. How could I not forgive? And again, think about the when Jesus is praying this. Let, let that sink, sink deep down into your heart. Here he is praying this prayer. Did he wait until after the resurrection? Did he wait until after the wounds had healed? Did he wait until these people said, wow, I can't believe we did this. We are so sorry, Jesus, would you forgive us? No, Jesus extends this prayer of forgiveness while the hand holding the hammer still had wet blood on it from Christ. And he says, forgive them. In the middle of their sin, Christ is calling out for their forgiveness. In their very act of killing him, in, the, in their worst moment, he's extending forgiveness. I mean, I love this about grace. This is why I love the doctrines of grace. That They would say this, that, that I didn't choose God. God loved me first. God loved you first. And his love poured out and grace and mercy softens your heart to then respond to that, to experience forgiveness and salvation. But the fact that God loved you first in your sin. He didn't, he didn't need to wait for you to repent. He extended grace first. And then our heart's drawn by that. And we respond and we're forgiven. And, and listen, th this whole idea then of forgiveness in that way, it turns the normal way we think of forgiveness upside down. We normally think of forgiveness kind of as this contract. I will forgive you if you do this. I will extend forgiveness if you're really repentant. I will give forgiveness if you show you're really sorry. If, if you prove to me that you deserve forgiveness, then I will give you forgiveness. Now imagine, imagine if God forgave that way. How many of us would be saved? None of us. So, so then what requirements are there for us to extend forgiveness? The gospel would say there are none. Forgive. Now listen, you need to understand as I say that, that, that what we're talking about here is forgiveness and forgiveness is different than reconciliation. All right, forgiveness is this vertical action between me and God where I'm extending forgiveness to that person. Where I'm saying, Lord, my heart is clean. Lord, I forgive them. Help me forgive them. But the horizontal relationship, the reconciliation, the coming back together, I'm not saying, hey, you need to immediately embrace the person and start that relationship and press in. No, 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 no. It's a forgiveness first. This reconciliation, that might take time. That's a process, especially where trust is deeply broken. It may take time to be regained. It may, may take time to be restored. And listen, if you're on the other side of the equation, if you're the offender in that story, your heart displaying brokenness for your sin, it's gonna be shown in your willingness to allow this horizontal reconciliation to take place, to be worked out. It's gonna be seen when you, you admit what you've done. You, 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 you embrace and say, yeah, I see the hurt that I've caused. I, I accept the full responsibility for what I've done and I'll welcome accountability. I, I'll stop the behavior. I'll accept the consequences. And that is, is, is the path being laid down for reconciliation. 
So don't hear me say this morning that you, you need to immediately be reconciled to the one who deeply hurts you, especially the one, listen, who, who is continuing to hurt you. What I'm talking about is this, this vertical action between you and God where, where you, you pray for the one who hurts you, where you, you forgive the one who hurts you, but you understand that reconciliation may take time. But listen, by God's grace, forgiveness can be offered immediately. I mean, if Jesus would have paused in forgiveness, wouldn't it have been right here in this moment? Wouldn't it have been this, this would have been the place where he said, no, no, I can't forgive right away. I'm gonna wait on this one. But even the horrible sin poured out on Christ right there, the horrible sin poured out around him was not enough sin to close the mouth of grace that would say, Father, forgive them. And so again, we, we come back to the starting place. If you're in Christ, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter how much, no matter how often you've committed that sin, no, no matter, listen, even that sin that right now Satan would remind you of and begin to contem condemn you, even sitting here in church, begin to remind you, yeah, yeah, that sin, that's not forgiven, even that sin. Nothing can stop the grace of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as a Christian, you can walk around saying, listen, I don't deserve this, but I stand with, with a boldness and with eternal gratitude that, that God, my, my heavenly Father, has completely covered, completely cleansed, completely taken care of all my sin, paid for, removed from me. I'm clean, covered, loved, and accepted. And then as we grab a hold of that truth, we can extend that same forgiveness to others. And, and listen, I, I'm not saying this will be easy. I mean, to live out that kind of forgiveness every day, it is not easy to offer it. It's not easy to live it. It requires us daily pressing in on the Lord. I mean, you may have to visit that same sin that was sinned against you over and over again for a while. Maybe you've heard it said before, hey, you need to forgive and forget. That's said about God. God's the one who forgives and remembers no more. You won't be able to just immediately, hey, just forgive and forget. No, you may have to revisit the next day and the next day where you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've forgiven that. Help my heart to embrace that forgiveness. So again, I'm gonna give you the hurt and the pain as you grow my heart towards forgiving that person. It's, it's this, this daily willingness to, to look at the wounds and the scars and choose to press deeper into grace and mercy and forgiveness instead of turning towards anger and vengeance and bitterness. And over time, that anger and that revenge and that bitterness will begin to fade from view. But we don't get there quickly, especially when the, when the wound is deep. This, this is why, why I would say forgiveness is, is more of a marathon than a sprint. Forgiveness is an ongoing action, not always just a one-time action. It's, it's not easy. But listen, there's nothing you can do to trump God's forgiveness for you. So, so let's not hold back on bringing all our hurt to the Lord. Let's not be tempted to, to wait any longer. Let's not be tempted to hold on to the bitterness for one more day. And, and I know, man, sometimes that bitterness feels so good, doesn't it? It just feels so nice to hug it and pet it and feed it. It's like, oh, this bitterness, it just feels good to be angry. Here's what's going on. That sin is growing deeper in your hearts. 
And Jesus is inviting you to a much deeper, a much more joyful way of life to forgive. And this will take time to, to, for us to fully engage us. But what I'm calling to us this morning is this, that even this morning, you would begin even today, this morning, right here, right now, to begin as an act of faith to pursue that forgiveness. To trust that, that God's gonna grow that forgiveness in your heart. I, I kind of look at it like this way. <laughs> you ever hear a preacher talk about giving money in faith? And you give a little bit in faith and you know that God's going to, going to multiply that in your life and he's gonna multiply your generosity and multiply the gift. You hear preachers talk about that all the time, right? I think forgiveness is the same where you step out as an act of faith and say, Lord, I'm giving this hurt to you. And in faith, I trust you're gonna grow the forgiveness in my heart. You're gonna grow the joy in my heart. And, uh, and you may not feel it right away. And you're not expecting, hey, hey, just forgive him. Who cares about Just forgive him. No, 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 it may take some time, but in faith, you immediately say, God, in no way do I want to forgive this person. The pain is deep. The hurt is so hard, but, but I want to speak forgiveness towards them. So in my mind, I know this is the true place to be. I know this is the right place to be. Lord, Lord, would you grow my heart, allow my heart to catch up to this. I'm telling you, God will be faithful to that. And as we do that, as we live out this kind of forgiveness, the world will look in in awe and say, that must be Jesus. I lived in, uh, in Manitoba for a season. I was teaching outdoor ed on the, uh, the, lake, the shores of Lake Winnipeg. And, and there was this, this swimming pool at this camp that I worked at where I was teaching outdoor ed. And the swimming pool was named after a girl. It was called the, the Candace Dirksen Memorial Swimming Pool. And Candace was a, was a 13-year-old girl who, who in the winter of 1984 went missing. Her family couldn't find her. They, they, they finally found her. She turned up in a shack, tied up, frozen to death. She'd been kidnapped and tied up and left to die in this shack. And now what happened after that would shock the whole town. As, as shocking as it was to see this, this beautiful young girl have her life end in such a horrible way, what happened after her parents forgave the murderer. Her parents forgave the murderer before they even found out who the murderer was. He, here's what happened. They, they had met with a couple other families who had lost young children to, to murder and, and they saw in these people the, the bitterness and the hurt and the anger, the, the depression, the, the medication, the, 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 the broken relationships that surrounded them as they held on to this anger and vengeance and bitterness towards the one who took their child from them. And they, they said, we don't want that. And so as Christ followers, instead of choosing bitterness and anger, they decided they would extend the forgiveness they received from God to the one who took their daughter. I'm telling you, people in the town could not believe it. Newspaper articles written, news agencies coming saying, we have to interview this couple. This does not make sense. This doesn't even seem right. And, and, and people would tell them, man, you guys are amazing people. They would respond, listen, listen, we're not amazing, but we've experienced amazing grace. And you will never look more like Jesus. You will never look more like Jesus than when you offer radical forgiveness in the face of terrible hurt of horrible injustice 
When people look in your life and say, that doesn't make sense. And listen, we could preach a whole sermon series on forgiveness to unpack what forgiveness and reconciliation looks like. There's so much to walk through. But, but for me right now, I think the first roadblock to walking in forgiveness is when we don't take the hurt and the pain, giving it up to the Lord as a prayer of forgiveness. As the worship team comes up this morning, as we end off this morning, I, I want to end this way. Listen, you, you can't do this on your own. When, when, you, when, when you think of, the, of this idea of forgiveness, you can't do this in your own strength. It's why I love that we have small groups where people walk with each other in these kinds of things. You're going to need people around you to, to, to encourage you, to walk with you in it. But even more than that, you're going to need a clear view of the cross. So if you're a Christ follower this morning, it begins here where you see that there is nothing in your life that is outside of the grace of God. There is nothing in your life that is outside the forgiveness of God. It's all covered. That Jesus prays here, Father, forgive them. Here's the thing. As you think of the cross, think about that prayer. Nowhere else do you see Jesus. Every other time Jesus talks about forgiveness in the gospels, he always just says, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. What's going on on the cross where he doesn't just forgive them himself? Why is he saying, Father, forgive them? Because what's happening on the cross is that your sin and my sin, all the sins of the world are being placed on Christ. That he who knew no sin became sin for us on our behalf that we might become the righteous of God in him. Christ calls out and listen, listen. Christ followers, loved ones, God answered that prayer. The hard work of the cross is done. The hardest prayer in the entire world for God to answer has been answered. So, so for you, you who've experienced this grace in your own life right now, listen, listen, rest in that. Breathe deep that grace. The life changing truth that you are forgiven. And then go live this out. As, as one who's been forgiven, you now extend forgiveness. You call out to the Lord, Lord, forgive them. I forgive them. Now, if you don't know Jesus, if, you, if you're, you're here, you, you've been coming to church for a while and you've been hearing us talk about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, you're like, well, where do I start in this? How do I forgive? You start in the same place. You begin at the cross. You can't do this on your own. You can't just press into this and white knuckle it. No, you, you need to begin at the cross because none of this makes sense until you embrace the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus. Where this morning you would start there to say, I need this forgiveness too. I'm the one standing at the cross, mocking. I, I need Christ to take my sin and forgive me and cleanse me and change me. You begin there. And then, then listen, as we all stand seeing the cross, we give the hurt and the pain and we pray, Lord, I forgive them. Maybe even right now, maybe right now you would ask this. Lord God, who are you calling me to forgive today? I mean, specific name. Like, see the face. Who, who is it that, that, that right now even God would say, this is the one?
And my prayer would be that even this morning, it would, it would be a moment where hearts are being set free. That, that that road to reconciliation would begin today. That, that even today, that today would be the day where that phone call is made, where the text is sent. That today would be the day where you would meet the person out in the hall and say, I need to talk to you. Today would be the day, maybe it's the person sitting right next to you, that you would begin in your heart before the Lord say, Lord, I forgive them. Take this moment even now. Where you'd ask, Lord, who, who would you have me forgive now? Lord, who would you have me begin this now? Lord God, we need you desperately. I mean, the amount of pain and hurt there would be in this room even right now but we know that that pain and that hurt cannot overpower your grace. God, I pray that you give us courage today to begin that journey so that we could have joy, that, that courage to recognize, Lord Jesus, that, that you took our sin and our shame, that you've set us free. The chains have been broken. And so that seeing that, seeing the cross, that we now can step out God, that you would empower us even now to begin that journey to say, Lord, as I've been forgiven, I forgive. I forgive. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.